Let's stand and take our Bibles tonight, please, if you would. First Thessalonians chapter 1. First Thessalonians chapter 1. And we started the series in our Chinese-speaking department during the first hour from First Thessalonians, and I just kind of felt led of the Lord for the last several weeks to just kind of bring it to our, our English department. Unfortunately, I'm not there every week to preach, preach in the series there for Sunday morning, so I'm just going to kind of just preach it here. I might, might have something a little bit different than what our other preachers are bringing on, on Sunday mornings there, but same, same doctrine, but probably a different approach. But you pray for us that this, we go through the series from First and Second Thessalonians, and God would use it. Just about every doctrine of Scripture is covered in these two books, and uh, we're looking forward to God to strengthen strengthening us on some of the topics and things we'll be talking about there. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 1, are you there? Amen. Hello? Amen. Are you there? Amen. Are you in Heritage Baptist Church? Yes, are you in the Universal Church? No. 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 Okay. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians. Now underline through two things tonight. <laughs> underline those three names. Then underline the phrase, the church of the Thessalonians. Okay. Now remember this, 113 out of 117 times in the New Testament, the word church refers, is the word ecclesia. It refers to local assembly of believers there. This is a local assembly, okay? Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. Father, bless the word tonight. Use it for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. While you're getting seated, you might want to start flipping over to Acts chapter 17 because we'll be spending the rest of our time in Acts 17. I want to preach a message tonight entitled, The Birth of a Church. And uh, we're looking here in 1 Thessalonians at how God grew and built a church there in the Macedonia area. This was the second church started by Paul in the Macedonia Endeavor and the second missionary tour. And we're going to see some, some very exciting principles about church planting. And we're going to see some very exciting principles about discipleship. And those of you who are discipling, it's very important that you are here for this series, especially as I get to chapters 2 and 3. We're going to spend some time on that. And we're going to be talking about principles of discipling. I'm praying that God will raise up both for those who are here on Wednesday nights as well as those watching by live stream. God will raise up some uh, additional disciples for us. We have a lot of people that need to be disciples. We're working on that list today and looking at it. We just got a large, large number of people that need to get in discipleship. I hope that all of you in the church that are here tonight, uh, and those who will be here in the ensuing weeks, will get a burden for that and understand what the concept of discipling is about. And then as we go from there, we're going to see the heart of soul winning. We're going to see the heart of a church planting team. We're going to see the heart of discipleship, and then we're going to spend some time looking at eschatology. I think it's been a while since we've done that, and I might use that as a springboard, possibly as we get towards maybe the, 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 end of the latter part of the fall, I mean, excuse me, the latter part of the spring and the summer, we might start a series Sunday night on the book of Revelation. And if we do that, we're probably going to be there until Jesus comes, amen? You know, that'd be a great thing. And uh, if you're post-trib, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you this, uh, you know, if we're post-trib, the seven years are long past, amen, you know? So uh, we're going to be going through that, but there's some exciting things about the book of Revelation that are very relevant for us. I hope you'll be there for that. I'm praying about that, and uh, we'll see some things there. But I want you to just get some practical nuts and bolts Christianity, and really tonight we're looking at the church triumphant. We're looking at the kind of church God blesses, the kind of church God uses, and we want to just, as, as a church that's chosen our theme is going forward, a church that is 20 years old, that we want to just be right in sync with those things there. Now, I want you to notice some things about this church at Thessalonica. We're going to be just focusing on the beginning days and early start of this church. 
Here's some things I want you to write down here that will help us tonight. Number one, we're looking at a church that had a right start. It's always important a church has a right start. Now, I'm envisioning praying about a couple of new extension ministries. Uh, in fact, we had something happen the other night that just kind of just promoted that again. And uh, we're looking at that, and uh, we're looking at, you know, just the, the DNA emphasis, the, the kind of DNA that's necessary for a right church start. When we look at the church at Thessalonica, though it had a rocky start from a human perspective, it had a right start. Secondly, we're looking at a church that had the right strategy. Now, Paul gives us some ideas from his heart. He gives us an idea of how the Lord worked in his heart and getting this church started. Now, I'll say this. It's important that we have the right strategy, and I'll say something about that in tonight's message. Starting churches, starting ministries doing the work of God, we must have the right strategy. We're going to look thirdly look at a church that was a soul winning church. Now, a church that's not a soul winning church is a disobedient church. It's important that a church is so winning. We've got to keep throwing the emphasis. Now, we're getting closer to Easter. We're going to spend some time uh, talking to the church and educating the church and, and talking about our Easter strategy. And probably as early as the first Sunday night in, in March, maybe even the last Sunday night in February, we're going to spend spending time every Sunday night just talking about that. But strategy in terms of what God wants us to do is going to be a big thing. So winning is a big thing. And then we're going to look at a church that had a great discipleship ministry. And we're going to see the essence of what a discipleship ministry should be all about. And then notice, if you would, tonight, we're going to look at a church that had the right doctrine. This church was, at, at, Paul wrote a number of things <clears throat> about their doctrine, about their behavior. And, and you hear this all the time, and you probably repeat it the same if you're a Sunday school teacher. But, you know, it's important we have the right beliefs because our beliefs uh, establish what our behavior is. And our behavior emanates from our belief system. So we're going to see some of that. We get to chapter 5, and you'll notice there's probably about 15 commands the Apostle Paul gives at the close of, of, chapter, 5, of chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians that are very critical for church health. And if we don't practice these things, that we could lead ourselves becoming imbalanced in some areas, and also being a church that's not very spiritually healthy. So it's important for us to obey and find what those commands are. And then you'll notice right here beginning chapter 1, Paul makes no apology about the fact that this was a church that was missions-minded. Now, we're going to talk about this in a huge context, because we've been spending some time talking about it as a staff, and we've been spending time talking about Brother Justin, who kind of oversees uh, uh, reading through all my missionary letters and things, and, and, and communication with our missionaries. What is the essence of a missions-minded church? I want to get us past just, you know, the emphasis, just reading a letter on Wednesday nights, and uh, being in a place where we have a missions conference once a year. I kind of want us as a church to really be on this, this, this mindset that we're thinking missions all the time and there's something going on and, and trying to get the church more enlightened about things going on around the world. I mean, God is doing some great things around the world and I'm just thankful tonight that there are, there are just some, some great men of God. Some of them we don't even know about that God is using great ways and God has his servants he has in different places. And it's just kind of like what God told Elijah that he has the 7,000 that haven't bended their knee. And we're just thankful tonight that God has just got some great people that he's raised up doing the work of God. And we're going to see some of those things. So without further ado, Let's go into our study tonight. Get your pen out. Get your notes out. I want to give you some things tonight. Let's go to Acts chapter 17 because we're going to be spending some time looking at the birth of this church that was in Thessalonica. And uh, I want to just give you some encouragement about some things that we, we see about this. Number one, I want you to notice the faithful commencement. The faithful commencement. Notice in chapter 17 of Acts verses 1 to 3, Paul is, is now... Gone, gone, if you would. He's going from east to west. And you might write this in your notes here. This is God working this. You want to remind yourself that the reason why God put Paul into the Macedonia area was because of one of the main reasons was the transportation reason. Because when God did that, he put Paul on the main route of what's known as the Via Ignatia. 
The Via Ignatia was a major Roman route. The Romans paved this road. It was the major, most convenient thoroughfare that connected all the major cities in that area of the world. And so by putting him on the Via Ignatia, it gave him a, a means by which he had a pathway to go to all these cities. When you look at how God led Paul to go to these various locations to start these churches, it's important to know that he traveled up and down that Via Ignatia. Remember now, he's made his way to Philippi. As we get to chapter 17, verse 1, he's going, you know, and again, bear in mind, the Via Ignatia went from east to west. you got to bear in mind that Paul is now still going east. He's going east to west. He's going westward, and now he's starting to go going southward. And as he's going down, he's going to pass through this city called Amphipolis, and then from Amphipolis, he's going to go to Apollonia and there to Thessalonica. Now, Thessalonica is a critical strategic city in this route. You might want to think of this context when we study where Paul went. Paul was a big city preacher. He went where there were masses of people. He went where he could get a gathering of people. I'm going to mention that a little bit later. And so you have to understand tonight that God leads men different ways. But in terms of missions, in terms of what God does, God keenly gives insight to church planters who have that special enablement by God. He gives them enablement and strategization and envisionment of where to go. And one of the things God was doing with Paul, even though he had not visited these cities, he knew his geography well enough and his demographics well enough to know that there were cities that had large populations. So let's look at some things about what happens here. In chapter 17, verse 1, now when they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. Now, always remember this. Proverbs 30, verse 5 says, Every word of God is pure. And when we look at the Bible, you cannot read the Bible like you read other books, like you read a magazine, like you read a newspaper, like you read National Geographic, like you read through an email. We just can't skip through things. We have to stop and read slowly and carefully and consider every word, even the jot and tittle, as Jesus would say over there in Matthew chapter 5. And notice several key words in verse 1. It says that twice we have the word they. Now, who's the they? When you see something like that, you have to notice that it's not focused on Paul, it's focused on a team. And we're going to say some things about that in a minute. But it takes us back to 1 Thessalonians 1.1. Secondly, God wanted us to know what cities he passed through. Why? Because it goes back to what I said earlier. He's going through, he's traveling down this Via Ignatia road, which ultimately would take him down to Athens, and then later on to the areas of Achaia, which would lead him to Corinth there. Now, notice some things here. He's a Thessalonica. The city of Thessalonica was so important was to that day, it's still important today. It's still in existence today, believe it or not. It's known as the city of Salonica, and it's a thriving city. It's a seaport city. It was a, a city of commerce. It was a city of education. It was a city of idolatry. This city was the capital of the second division of the Macedonia colony. That's important. Cicero, in his writings, called Thessalonica the bosom of the empire. So it was a very important city. Paul knew that. His, the, his travelers that were with him, part of his mission team, they knew that. And so it was important that he got to Thessalonica because they needed to hear the gospel. It was a city that was noted for its hot springs. It was originally called Therma, uh, nicknamed for the thermal springs that were there. It was a city named after the sister or the half-sister of Alexander the Great, Cassander. And so we, we find some great historical and geographical things about the city which made it a traction point. Here it's known for its hot springs. You've got to bear in mind during those days that was a resort spot. People went there for vacation. People would make their stopping points there. People would go there for therapeutic purposes. So there are some, some things about the city that drew masses of people from other areas. When you're thinking in terms of church planting, you always have to be thinking about where you're going to go and what you're going to do. I enjoyed being with Pastor Lorena. 
When I was with Pastor Raina, we spent probably nine days talking about missions, talking about preaching, talking about preachers and where you're putting preachers and cities and things like that. His son-in-law, uh, uh, who's going to be with us for our missions conference, grew up as a missionary kid at, on the mission field in the Philippines. He speaks solid Tagalog. He sounds like a native Filipino there. And his son-in-law was thinking about going to Quezon City to start a church. I was in Quezon City last year uh, at Brother Carroll's church, a thriving city, lots of churches there. And uh, and Pastor Lorena is trying to encourage his son-in-law and his daughter Annika to consider going to an area there where it's thriving, where there's a military base that's thriving. He was telling me about the subdivisions being built out there and what's going on. And I thought, you know, he's got it right on. He's thinking about where there's growth and where it's connection to a large city. Uh, one of the preachers there in, in Taiwan we got to be with. He, they're, they're actually next month, they're going to be launching off and starting a new work uh, outside of there because there's so much growth and things just happening outside of that area where he's at there. And so it's important to know that these areas, where is their growth and where there's happening there? Uh, this, this city was a major seaport on the top of the Gulf of the Aegean Sea. It was the location where a Roman governor resided. So when you look at all of the things historically that was uh, inherent about the city at Thessalonica, it's no wonder the Holy Spirit had worked in Paul's heart and leading him there. He did did not go to any of these cities haphazardly. He had learned when he got to, uh, to Philippi, he needed to lean upon the Holy Spirit. He had to pray for wisdom. He had to ask for discernment. Now, let me just give you a thought there. A lot of times, you know, when we when we make a strategy, uh, we make a decision, we think about strategy, what we're doing, you know, we, we tend to apply a secular, a secular mindset that we think, well, why don't we just make a decision? Well, it doesn't just really work that way in God's work. A lot of times we must pray, we must consider, we must wait on the Lord. We must know very certainly by God's leading what God wants us to do. God's never late. God's always on time. And we must consider that we must be on the same timeline as God. So notice here as we go to verse, chapter 70, verses 1 to 3, and I need to move quickly here. I want you to notice the faithful commencement of, of this church that was at Thessalonica. Now notice some things about this. Number one in verse 1 here, and in chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians, the first thing you're going to notice in verse 1 here is the bandit members. The bandit members. We find a team here. Now, God uses a man to start churches. We have some church planters. We, 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 we support them. I think of uh, Brother David Azzarello. I hope you'll pray for him. He's on our prayer page. We support him. Brother Azzarello was a staff member at a, at a leading uh, a fundamental Baptist church not very far from here for many years. He, he, he was an architect by, by trade and by profession. And God was working his heart after he got saved. Actually, uh, Dr. Paul Chappell led him to Christ when he was on staff at that church many, many years ago in the early 80s. And Brother Azzarello grew in the Lord. And uh, Brother Azzarello was asked by his pastor to start an adult Bible class. I remember because I was in that church at that time for a brief period of time. Brother Azarello built the largest adult Sunday school class at that time. I think they had somewhere about 150, 200 adults that he built from scratch right inside that church here. But he had a burning his heart to start churches there and he wound up about taking a church uh, across the bay from us and, and God was still working his heart. He didn't stay there very long. And Brother Azarello now is a 60 year old man who's being used of God to help start churches. He just started uh, he started several down in the Central Valley area down uh, a little bit past Manteca there. They're all, they're all still going on right now and thriving. He started a couple down in the Southern California area recently that we've read about. And I think about men like that. God uses men to start churches. But God also uses a team to start churches. And you'll notice some things tonight. God used the team from 1 Thessalonians 1.1 that's mentioned here of Paul, Silvanus, or Silas, 
and Timotheus. Now, would you take some notes tonight? Because I want you to think about some things about this team. There are key requirements that God has for having a winning team. It's one thing to have a, win a team. It's another thing to have a winning team, an accomplished team, a team that gets it done. Now, I want to read you. I want to give you some thoughts here tonight. Notice, first of all, we see Paul, the lead member of this team. Would you write down these things? Because we want to see some key characteristics of teams. First of all, Paul was a preacher. Paul was a preacher of the Word of God. I mean, he had to know he was called to preach. Secondly, we see that Paul was sent forth by the Holy Spirit. There's no question in Paul's mind that he was sent out as a missionary. We find that in Acts chapter 13, verse 2. So it's very important as we consider a team, is there the calling to preach, number one. Number two, we must see the lead, the lead person. Was he sent out? Was there the confirmation by the Holy Spirit and the leadership of this man? Paul was continuously filled with the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit made us see that right from the get-go when he went on the first missionary trip when they were there on, on the, uh, out there on the island of Cyprus. Paul, as we know from Acts chapter 9, the Bible says that he was God's chosen vessel to bear his name to the Gentiles, to kings, and to the nation of Israel. That's kind of interesting because as that was communicated there in, in the early days of Acts chapter 9, it's interesting, Paul and the leadership of the Holy Spirit kept him focused on the, on the, on the Gentiles, the nation of Israel, and the kings. And we read later on in Acts, in Acts 22 to 26 how God gave him an audience with kings. In fact, he's probably the only man of his generation that was able to actually have a face-to-face -face meeting with these men and give them the gospel there. Paul accepted much travel as part of church planting. Now, I think you have to be of a certain uh, makeup to be a church planter. You have to be willing to be on the road. You've got to be willing to live out of a backpack or suitcase, if I can say that. And that's what Paul did there. Paul experienced suffering. He, he, if you wanted to know about learning the ropes, about church planting, you had to get around the apostle Paul. He knew the hardships involved with church planting. Church planting, our eyes glitter as we sit here with a building, this building being almost paid off, comfortable chairs, Bibles in our hands, a PA system and all that. But I want to tell you, I've been to some of our church plants that we've got, or churches that are in the midst of a church planting uh, start, and they're, they're just trying to get by with whatever they have. I mean, they're thankful they've got a broken PA system, whatever there, but you know, for us, we have to realize that if you're the man or the team involved with it, there's a lot of hardships. There's a lot of things you don't have that, that established churches have. And so Paul was used to that. Paul could make do without all of those luxuries there. Paul was acknowledged by the church leaders at Jerusalem. That's important. They acknowledged him on the second missionary tour, and we see their blessing on him in, John, in Acts chapter 15. Paul was also a pastor. As the church at Antioch was growing under Barnabas, Paul wound up being the co-pastor. Now, I don't believe that there was a plurality of elders. I believe eventually as time went along, Paul became the co-pastor. He was learning pastoring there. And then as we get over to the missionary endeavors, we find Paul being the lead pastor in every one of those church situations. He just arose as the strong lead personality. Barnabas acquiesced. Barnabas didn't have a problem with that. Barnabas was the one that gave him comfort and encouragement. And again, God knew the chemistry of this whole situation. He did not put two hard heads together. He didn't put two explosive personalities together. He complimented Paul and Barnabas for bringing them together for those early starts of time. And God knew even with all that, with the God's foreknowledge, knowing that they would have a break in that team, God knew that Paul needed Barnabas during those early days to catch the compassion and the heart of a pastor. Because I believe as we study Barnabas, Barnabas had the great heart of a tender, compassionate pastor. Even to the point where perhaps Barnabas, because of his compassion, could not deal with the hard issues that you have to deal with when you're pastoring a church. Paul could. And we see that in Paul because he evidences some of that when he writes his letters. To, in all of his letters, he deals with some hard issues there. So we look at Paul, and we see that Paul was a church planning leader. And all I'm trying to say to you tonight, as we look at God forming a team... 
Paul had all these central requirements to be the pastor, to be the leader, to do the work that God wanted to do. But Paul, God gave Paul help. Notice, secondly, we see Silas. Would you write Silas down? Now, Silas is acknowledged. We find a lot of Silas's credentials over in Acts 15. Now, if you've not studied Silas in a while, you need to go study that man. He is a great inspiration. In fact, you might go look up the archives of the Godborn devotions. I think I've written about two, two devotions about him the last four or five years that are very critical for us to understand about Silas. Let me give you some things. Silas was a prophet. Silas was an articulate preacher of the Word of God. They, you know, God knew as these churches would be started, they needed prophets and teachers. Secondly, he was reputed in Acts 15 as a chief among the brethren. In other words, he was a respected leader. And let me say this tonight. It's important in leadership that you are respected. We find that recurringly over and over again. Listen, there are things about being a leader that, that are not glamorous. There are things about being a leader that, that you have to accept. I mean, you know, leaders need to pick up a broom and a mop every now and then. Amen? I mean, every now and then, leaders need to go out and go flush the toilet somewhere if someone didn't flush it. I mean, leaders need to be willing to pick up a chair every now and then. I mean, leaders have to be someone that are respected. They're seen as people that their mannerisms, everything about them are respected. And Silas had established, especially the church of Jerusalem, as a respected leader. Uh, here's something else. The Bible describes Silas, as well as a man by the name of Judas, that they hazarded their lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I thought this kind of interesting as God was putting together this team uh, that would be on the second missionary trip, and they really didn't know each other's, you know, kind of their personalities, how they would react to each other. It's kind of interesting, God already knew. And God put together uh, these men who both had gone through some suffering. The word hazard, it means this. It means he accepted the risk associated with serving Jesus Christ. Listen, I think if Paul learned anything, when he took John Mark with him on that first trip, he didn't really realize that you need to have men who are willing to hazard their lives, who are willing to accept the risk and the setbacks in ministry that come with it. And, uh, and there are setbacks and there are risks with ministry and, and things of that nature. And John Mark, of course, couldn't accept that. But uh, this man, Silas, was someone that did. And whatever those risks were associated with the ministry, he accepted them. Silas was recommended by the brethren. That's important. So again, we find that Paul was approved by the brethren at Jerusalem. Silas is recommended by the brethren at, at Jerusalem. And Silas was completely trusted by Paul. Paul watched this man in action during the brief time he was back at Jerusalem. He said he'll make a good team member. And then we see Timotheus. We see young Timothy. Now, Timothy gets me excited because I think, look at Timothy, and I look at young men in our church right now, and I look at potential that God's got there. Let's consider some things about Timothy. Again, we're looking at the banded members, and I'm spending a little bit of time here because without this background, you're not going to appreciate or really understand everything that unfolds in 1 Thessalonians here, okay? So notice Timothy here. Timothy his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice all got saved under the ministry of Apostle Paul. Now, I'll tell you this from my heart. My, my great emphasis here, and I want you to be on board with me, I want to see entire families saved. Amen? Amen. I want to see entire families saved. This past year, uh, just a few months ago, we had a family got introduced to our church. The sons got saved. Their cousin, one of their cousins led them to Christ. And uh, there was some kind of an uh, issue that went on with the family. I got in contact with the family. The family started coming to our church. And they probably, I think, in the last, since August, I think they've only missed a, a total of three months in church. The mother finally got saved on December 16th. She got saved at the end of the service. She raised her hand. She trusted Christ, her Savior. She got saved out of Catholicism. The husband, who's He's got a Buddhist background, very traditional Buddhist background, uh, just was struggling. I've witnessed him, I would, I would probably tell you, I've probably witnessed him personally about eight times since August. I've been in their home almost weekly. I'm discipling the sons. The sons have some very sharp sons, and I see great potential. One of them might even have the calling of God in his life. And so I've been working with them, and every time I go there, I talk to the Father for a little bit there on Monday nights, and 
and uh, about uh, right, right, I think right around Christmas time, we spent probably an hour and a half talking at the kitchen table, and he just wasn't ready, and, and he promised me he started reading his Bible, and, and as the New Year came, he started reading his Bible. Well, I got there Monday night, met with the sons, started working through the sons. We just finished letter A. And then, uh, then I said, hey, tell your dad and mom that I just finished with them. I just want to say goodbye to them before they leave. And the dad came out, and he said, hey, pastor. And he's a very shy man, extremely timid, extremely shy. And he said, pastor, I want to let you know something. He says, you know, I, I promised you I'd start reading the Bible, and I did. And, you know, I was reading today where it says, you know, knock and it shall be open to you, and seek and you shall find. Well, my mind went first to Matthew 7, 7, 11, and because, and, 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 you know, I was thinking, well, I hope you read that because it talked about the broad way and the narrow way and the man who built his house on solid rock and so forth like that. And he said, no, it wasn't that one because he was talking about the raven and so forth. And I said, well, maybe you read Luke chapter 11. I described it. He says, that's a chapter. And so he started reading Luke chapter 11, and then he started reading a few things. And then he made a statement. He says, I read this, and everything you've been preaching on clicked. And he said, I knew at that moment, I better do it now. I better get saved now. And he says, I prayed and got saved. Well, you know, my red, the red flags went up with me for a minute. And I said, okay, what did you pray? You know, what did you ask God? He said, Pastor, you go over this every Sunday. You tell people how to get saved. I did exactly what you tell people to do on Sunday morning. And he prayed. And you know, and I'll tell you what, what I'm blessed by. You know, God, God works beyond you and me to get saved sinners. Amen? It's the Holy Spirit of God working through that. And with a smile on his face and the joy of the Lord, he says, I want to tell you unashamedly, I accepted Jesus Christ, my personal Savior. Hey, that's the whole family. And the wife sent my wife and I a text message late Monday night. They were texting to midnight on Monday night. And uh, she sent her a text message. She just said, you know what? She said, my prayer was that our family be together. I realized it had to begin with me. And the family's all together here. We made the full cycle and so forth there. And, you know, just my prayer, I'll tell you, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm after. I'm, I'm like an animal right now, an uncaged animal. I want to see entire families brought to Christ. Amen? I mean, that's what you want to see there. And so we see this here. So Paul, Timothy and his grandmother and his mother get saved. Paul's down to Derby Lystra. I think, I think Timothy was one of those people standing there in Acts 14, as well as Lois and Eunice, that watched Paul get stoned. I think they watched the people of their city drag him out and stone him. I think that just didn't traumatize him. I think that emboldened Timothy to say, well, if that man would get stoned for Jesus Christ and get right back up by the power of the Spirit and go right back into the city and tell him the gospel, he says, I want that kind of faith. Hey, by the way, that's the kind of faith people want to see in you and me, man. So he sees that. Acts 16.1, we find here that at Derby and Lystra, that he gets to Paul's Derby and Lystra, this is before he gets there to Philippi, that, uh, that the, the, there's a certain disciple in there. That's important. Because when the word, the Bible used the word disciple, he's not just taking talking about Jobo Christian. And he's not talking about someone that's in a discipleship class. He's talking about people, and we'll see this in 1 Thessalonians. When the word disciple is used in Acts especially, it's talking about someone who's made that decision, they're going to follow Jesus. Amen? I mean, they're indoctrinated. They're on board with the scriptures. They're on board with living for Christ. They're, scoring, they're so winning. They're witnessing. They're doing all those things there. And the brethren there at Derby and Lister, remember now Paul had, had got this, this church strengthened in Acts chapter 14. He was involved with the calling of a pastor there in Acts chapter 14 to oversee the churches there at Derby and Lystra. And now we get to Acts chapter 16. And the brethren are so excited to see Paul. And they said, Paul, Paul, we've got to tell you about something. There's this young man that got saved when you were here. He was just a little guy at that time. He is a, he's a young man now. And notice what chapter 16 verse 1 says. Behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jew and believed and but his father was a Greek his father wasn't saved so at being Greek he had a pagan father and the Bible says in verse 2 which was well reported of by the brethren which were a lister and Iconium now listen beloved that that speaks volumes there Timothy Timothy and you young men listening to me tonight you young men here tonight especially Timothy 
was a young guy who had all the immaturities of young men. But Timothy, the gospel so permeated his life, the power of Jesus Christ got such a hold of him, he had a good reputation. He was well reported of by the brethren. Let me tell you what that means. He got the same commendation. We read well reported. He had the same commendation that the, that the, that the prophets and the preachers at Jerusalem gave of Judas and Paul when they commissioned him on the second missionary trip. That's powerful. That's powerful. Now listen tonight. The church as a model for Jesus Christ. The church is a testimony. As a leader, as a pastor, it's important. We've got our eyes on the men especially. We're watching the men to see, are there, is there potential? Guys, this is not a happy-go-lucky club that we come to. This is a church of the living God. And as men, we need to be cognizant of the fact that God is watching. We should be watching. We're not coming to fill a seat. All of us as men should be stepping in. Ladies as well should be stepping up like a Timothy and saying, you know what? I want to live my life that I'm well reported of. Now that meant being well reported, they, they checked him out in his prayer time. They checked him out. Was he witnessing? They checked him out. Was he so winning? They checked him out. They checked him out. Now, I'll tell you this. When I was in Taiwan, I'm ashamed of myself. Now, I did a lot of sewing, but I'll tell you what. I'll, t- I'll tell you something about Brother Justin. Brother Justin, there wasn't anywhere we went in public where he didn't give out tracks. If he didn't give out at least 200 tracks per seat during the time we, between Taiwan and Phil- the Philippines, I'm talking about on the airplane, all the attendants. I'm talking about at every restaurant we went to. I'm talking about every place we went to with, with the preachers. I mean, everywhere we went, he had a bundle of tracks from Christian Bible Baptist Church he took with him. I mean, everywhere we went on the subway, everywhere. He, when he found somebody by the way, he took a track and gave it to them. I'm just saying tonight, you know, all of us need to be cognizant and so sensitive that we're giving tracks out, telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ here. And so we find Timothy doing this. So Timothy has a good and blameless reputation. Timothy is chosen by Paul. Timothy does say, didn't do the typical young man thing. Well, I've got to think about it. Timothy had already, been praying, had already been praying about, God, use me. Every young man should be praying, God, use me. By the way, let me just say tonight, every man should be praying, God, use me. My driver I had, Brother Danny, I mean, he had a, this is a very, I can't tell you what happened in his personal life. He had a major crisis in his personal life. But Brother Danny, God was working his life as Christian Bible Baptist before we know it as it is today. When it was just, when it was growing and, and, and there were hundreds being saved at the time. Now the thousands being saved. I mean, you're talking about a New Testament church in action there. Brother Danny got a burden as a, as a, in having a very comfortable job at Pepsi-Cola Corporation. God put in his heart, Danny, what could God do with you if you served the Lord full-time? Now he's 63 years old. He's serving God full-time, overseeing a jeepney route of 14 vehicles, bringing hundreds into the church, and he's excited about it. He's elite. In fact, the head usher for the church. I mean, he's just a simple, quiet man. If he came to Heritage Baptist Church, you wouldn't even know who the man was. He's so quiet and to himself there. But just a great servant of God, serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm just saying today, we've got to be careful that we don't let the western mindset we have here in america so corrupt us and so conform us to what church should be we've got to go back to the bible and back to the new testament to see how new testament christianity should be lived for jesus christ Amen. and so we have we, we find these young this young man here that goes along with paul we see a bonded team let me say a few things about a church planning team tonight by the way paul paul also said this about timothy he was impressed by timothy's unfeigned faith second timothy 1 5 yep. Uh, Paul, Paul took Timothy under his wing, called him a spiritual son. Uh, Paul said this about Timothy, which just speaks volumes to me, and every member of the church ought to be reading this, Philippians 2. He said, I have no other man like-minded. I mean, he said, I've got a lot of friends, but the only one I could send, I feel most confident I could send to Philippi to convey my heart and to stabilize you is Timothy. 
And I think Paul had to write these letters because Timothy was much younger than the rest of the congregation. And he wanted them, that's why he said things to Timothy like, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believer. And he was. But he was encouraging him, continue doing that. Now watch what God's doing here. God uses teams to start churches. Teams must have a calling. They must have a specific experience and skill set with people and so in discipleship and people and leadership development. Hey, listen, for everybody here, you're not filling space where you're serving. Take good notes. Ask the question. Think about what's going on. Even ask me every night, why do you do what you do? You're taking good notes. Why? Because God's going to lead this church to start more churches. Amen. God's going to use this church to start extension ministry. Listen, we're going to do whether you're with me or not. I'm going to go. God's going to provide the workers and the lead. Paul didn't know what he was going to do. Paul knew one thing. God wanted to do it, and God supplied to the men he needed there. They weren't his choosing. They were God's choosing. So we see the, we see the bonding of this team. Listen, the, the team members of a church planning team, they can't be three males with three super egos. They've got to have a lead. There must be submission. They must accept the risk and the hardships involved. They must have a servant's heart to do hard work and whatever it takes to be a blessing to the work of God. Secondly, what you notice is secondly about this faithful commencement, real quickly. I may not get past point one tonight. Number one, we see, we see, this, we see the banded members. Number two, would you go back to 1 Thess- Thessalonians 2? And I want you to notice chapter 2. Would you notice the burning motivation? Now, I like how Paul captures it for us in chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians that we might understand under what, under what circumstances he went to Thessalonica. Paul's writing to them because, remember, one of the general themes of 1 Thessalonians is comfort. They need a comfort. By the way, churches need comfort. Amen? Okay? And so they need a comfort. So he writes to them in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance unto you that it was not in vain. Now, I, I love that. I love that. Not about you, but I love that. He says, you know what? Whatever we do for Jesus Christ is never in vain. Amen? You know, you don't know how it's going to unfold. You don't know if they're going to accept you. They're not going to reject you. And by the way, the reason why he said that is we'll find in verse 2. Because later on, we, he talked about it later on verse 14. About how the, 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 uh, the, 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 the Jews came down there and, they, and they, they rejected him. And they caused some trouble. So he says in verse 2 here. But even after we had suffered before and were shamefully treated, as you know, at Philippi. We were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. Now. What's he talking about there? Well, Paul's leaving Philippi. Paul has been asked to leave. He's given some pressure. He's gotten this church at Philippi organized. He's got it going there. In fact, I, I love reading the book of Philippians. When I read verse 1, Philippians 1.1, 1, 1, how organized this church was. It had, it had an assembly. It had a congregation. It had, it had, it had pastors. It had, it had deacons of all things. That's an amazing thing. I mean, it's just this church was serving God and all that. But Paul left that city with some sore scars on his back. He's still hurting from having been beaten, having been whipped, having been in the stocks. The scars are there. I imagine his back is still throbbing. I even imagine that when he went to Thessalonica, he probably was bent over a little bit from the beating he endured and all the punishment. Now, Paul makes mention here, he wanted to emphasize for us many years later by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He wanted us to understand what he went through. Look at verse 2 again. He said, they suffered and were shamefully treated. Now, watch this tonight. I know enough about believers. I've been saved long enough. I know enough about believers. If you go through an embarrassing situation, there's a large number of you that probably be gun-shy to go back to ministry. I don't think so, Pastor. I, I, I think I need to take a break. I don't think so, Pastor, because I don't need that kind of stuff. I don't need that in my life. I, I don't need that. I understand that. That's how we act in the world. That's not how you act in church. That's not how you serve God. 
We get burned, we get disappointed, somebody, somebody angers us, we misunderstand them. By the way, 90% of most of our disappointments are misunderstandings. And so Paul says here, we, were, we suffered and were shamefully treated, as you know, at Philippi. Listen, they all knew about what happened. It, it, it got there before Paul got there. He says, look at all we went through here. But he said, you know what, in verse 2, we were bold in our God to speak unto the gospel of God with much content. He says, you know what, we made a determination. We didn't know really what to expect. And as it unfolded, as it got past that third Sabbath day, and, and the Jews came down and started giving them opposition, he said, one thing's clear. One thing's clear. We were bold in our God to declare the gospel to you. You know what he's saying there? We had a burning motivation in our heart. We knew what God did at Philippi, and we know what God can do down here. And let me say this tonight just because we don't have a lot of time. We know what God has done for 20 years here at his baptism. I would declare to you tonight, we know what God has done. Let's let God even do more in the next 20 years. Amen? Amen. This let God do even more through us. And he says, we were bold in our God. Hey, some of us have gotten to a place where we're on cruise control, we're on neutral, we're on park, we're really not motivated. I think we need to get back to the days of the Apostle Paul and have a burning fire, a burning motivation, a zeal and a good works that I spoke about Sunday morning, Sunday night, that we need to have about winning souls and reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ here. So Paul had this burning motivation he talked about there. And I think that was the fuel that led Paul to say in Acts chapter 20, none of these things Move me. He had a burning motivation for the work of the Lord. Then notice if you would a third thing tonight. We see the bandit members. We see the burning motivation, which you consider in chapter 17. Let's go back to Acts 17 for a minute. Would you notice the biblical method? Now, let me make some statements tonight. You hear me say this all the time, and you probably don't have a clue what it's all about. That's okay. But we live in a time when many church planters are influenced by what is known as the church growth movement. And church planters are concerned about having contemporary methods for starting and sustaining churches. Uh, so these men get together, and they have idea days, how-to seminars for growing their churches. Uh, a pastor here, a young man, younger than me, uh, it took the path of a church probably about, I don't know, maybe 45 minutes an hour from here. And uh, he's doing a good job. I preached his building bank. We helped him raise some money about a year or so ago. After, and that was within the first year of his pastorate. He's doing a good work for God. He's gotten the church got off a dead start. And he's gotten them, they're just so winning and getting the job done. And he's got great vision for property expansion. They're planning to sell their property. And, and they're looking at a huge Walmart property that's been, or, or Kmart property that's been vacant. And that would give them more visibility as parking and all that. And I've, I've kind of counseled him through this situation, kind of what, what the mind of God is on that. And, uh, and, and he asked me, he's, he says, Pastor Fong, he says, you know what? He said, I follow you on Twitter. And he's just, you know, I get excited when you, you just kind of put things up there about people getting saved. And, by the way, I don't post it to boast. I put that there to inspire people to do something for God, by the yeah. way. And so, you know, so he says, he said, uh, you know, would you come and be, be a, my main speaker for, I want to do a church growth uh, conference. And I, so my red flags went up. I said, okay, what is this church growth conference? I mean, what are you advocating? And before I put my name out there, what are you doing there? He said, I just want to assure you. I said, I'm not going off some deep end somewhere and stuff. He says, you know, what we, we are agreement on our philosophy and stuff like that there. But he said, I just feel like there's men here in Northern California that just need to catch that heart for winning souls and starting churches and things like that. Well, 
we have a lot of church planters right now. They're not, they're, they're not reading from Baptist doctrine. They're reading from other stuff there. And they're reading from new evangelical authors and Protestants and people like that. And they're getting these how-to ideas, how to do this, how to do that. And I'm not against ideas. And I think there may be an idea or two that probably can, is very practical to be used. But they're going to these how-to seminars. And what they're basically doing, a lot of these young men and the older men are going that way. A large majority of them are turning to pragmatic methods that are attracting a crowd and uh, on Sunday mornings, and having Sunday morning service have a warm, fuzzy feeling. And so the result of that is they're dressing down, and, uh, they're, and, and I'm finding a large number of our men are, are, are very comfortable uh, with having church service without a tie on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights. And, and I just, I just I tell you, maybe I'm old-fashioned, and that's why we have the song, They Call Me Old-Fashioned. Maybe I'm old-fashioned, but I just kind of feel like Sunday is God's day still. And I think if it's God's day, I think we should give God our best. Amen? Now, you may not feel that way, but I'm going to lead you to believe that one day, okay? We need to give God our best. We need to dress our best. By the way, when we come to church, it's not a nightclub. This is the house of the living God. We ought to dress out of respect to God. We ought to dress modestly, and as men of God and women of God before that. And so, as we, we think about that, these, you know, they, they're at this dress down. And I understand they want to be comfortable. But listen, my, my goal as a pastor is to bring the culture up to God, not to bring me down to the culture. You believe that? Okay? The goal is to bring the culture up to God, not to bring the pastor down to the culture. Okay? I mean, we have to realize that we represent the living God there. So I want you to see some things here tonight as we close, because we're just past just point one. I want you to see some things about the biblical methods of Apostle Paul. Would you write this down? It starts off in verse 2, Paul as his manner was. That means he had a strategy that was proven. He also had a strategy that was biblical. Now, number one, what you notice is biblical method, there are personal gatherings. Now, I want you to distinguish one thing. You want to write this down. There's a difference from building a crowd and from building a church. Building a crowd, if you want to, and I want, I could do, I can promote and I can get us to get a crowd here. But if we get a crowd of 1,000 people on a Sunday morning and only two come back Sunday night, am I building a church or am I building a crowd? P.T. Barnum could build a crowd. That's called a circus. Okay? Uh, you get a famous rock, rock group coming out here like U2 or something like that. They come out, whatever they're called. They come out here and they do something at, at the Oracle Arena. You can get a crowd, but that's not a church. Okay? It's not a church. It's a big difference on that. Okay? Now, Paul's going to show us how you build a church. There are personal gatherings. Now, notice what it says here. Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures. Let me take a moment about this, okay? First of all, Paul, Paul did, now Paul was a thinker. Paul was also a good organizer. He said, let all things be done decently and in order. And Paul understood people. And so Paul, as his manner was, the Bible says he went into them. Can I say something to you? We never, as a church, get away from the, from the baseline of, of people work. We must go to them. That's right. We must go to them. We must knock on the earth. Brother Justin was sharing in our staff meeting today. We were talking about some areas to sign for Easter. And he talked about an area. He said, he's a pastor. He says, well, amazing. I've been watching statistics. He says, we're actually drawing a lot of people in this area that we sent a bunch of teams to. Brother Joe, a bunch of your teams went out there uh, last, last year for Easter. And you guys canvassed it. Now we're drawing people weekly. They're coming from there. They've got those tracks. They've got our flyers. They've been sitting on them for months. And now they're coming because we had several teams that went out there and so on. And so, you know, we're just, we just know this, that the, the more we saturate the area with the gospel and, and get our name out there people start coming there so the bible says in verse 2 paul as his manner was went unto them so what did paul do paul went where he get a we can get a, he could have personal gathering people he went into them where'd he go he went to a synagogue of the jews verse one 
Now, Paul, as much as he could, he went to an area where he knew there were being assemblies of Jews. Why? Because he was a rabbi. He knew that if he went into a synagogue, he would get an audience with people. He knew that, that the, as a visiting rabbi, they would open up an invitation. They would say, okay, do we have any visiting rabbis here? And Paul could stand up and say, yes. And he could cite his credentials. He was trained under Gamaliel and so forth like that. Well, man, he got everybody's attention. And you read his credentials over in Philippians chapter 3. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees and circumcised the eighth day and all those kind of things. I mean, Paul could get up and talk about his credentials. And listen, the whole audience would stop. And listen, Paul had an audience there as he got up. The Bible says he did three things. Look what he did there. He got up before all this audience of Jews there. And by the way, in Thessalonica, if you were a good Jew, and most of them were, all of them were there on the Sabbath day. All of them were there on, the, on what we would call our Saturday. So he had hundreds, maybe even thousands of Jews there in the synagogue on the day. I mean, Paul was wise. He said, I'm going to go where I can get an audience of people that I get the gospel to. And so the Bible says in verse 2 and 3, he opened, it says, no, first of all, in verse 2, he reasoned with them, he opened and alleged with them the gospel that Christ must needs have suffered, risen him from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach and Jesus Christ. Now watch this here. Now as a, as a, as a rabbi, you have to understand how rabbis think. As a rabbi, he could have gone off on some rabbit trail tangent talking about, about Jewish history. He could have talked about Hillel. He could have talked about historical things. And yet, however he started out, the Bible doesn't tell. He may have quoted Moses to give reverence to Moses. He could have talked about Abraham. Whatever he did, I'm, I'm certain he probably talked a lot about Moses, the Mosaic Law, and the traditions of that. But Paul did not stay on there. Paul knew how to transition, 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 so he went from wherever he started to where he did. He reasoned, he opened, and alleged. Listen, Paul used that opportunity to get the gospel to people. I'm trying to say to you tonight, if you want to get a gathering of people, look for opportunities, transition, and get the gospel to them as quickly as you can there. Now, let me give you some ideas tonight as we think about that. Paul went to a setting where he could see people face to face. Now, I know we're in an internet age, and I know that the millennials going up, they don't like personal content, but I'm going to tell you tonight, beloved, people still want to see you face-to-face. -face. We still have to have face-to-face -face meeting with people, okay? And Paul went here. Look what he did. He, he went there, and he saw them face-to-face -face so he could have the, 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 they could see his face, and he, they could see, and he could see theirs and give them the gospel. Now, listen, a lot of times, it, it's going to be door-to-door. -door. It might be at a park setting. Uh, it could be a gathering at someone's house, and, and I thank God for some of our, our families in church. It's by nature, the culture, whatever. They can, they, can, they can bring an assembly of people there, and we'll preach the gospel. We've done that for several of you. It, it will involve in, in church planting, get acquainted meetings. When we do church, when we, if we're going to start a church, let's say we get an extension ministry going, uh, we get a bunch of people growing, and it's growing, it's got consistent growth, then we will start just campusing the area very heavily with the gospels of John's and Romans and, and things of that nature, and talk about we're going to be starting a new work and brand the name of the work and put things in people's hands like magnets and pencils and pens and bags in their hands and maybe mugs to just start branding and getting people excited about them and talking about the launch date. And as we near the launch date, we would have get acquainted meetings. And we're going to just ask those people, listen, it's a prelude to the new church. We want you to come to a get acquainted meeting. We want you to come and learn what we're all about. And we'll bring some of the leadership team and some of our key members of the church, the men and women, especially our men, that they can meet and they can give testimonies there. And some would talk about that. And we'd have people in that area that we've won to Christ or people that live in that area come and give a testimony and say, hi, my name is, my, my, my name is, 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 is Jack and, and I live in this area 
them, and I'm just so glad, and I'm excited about God, what God can do to start a church, and I want you to be part of that, and, and people are going to bring people in. There's, 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 there's a lot of buzz, and there's a lot of enthusiasm people have about that. And you have these get acquainted meetings, you have about two or three of those, and then you get them ready by prayer to get ready for the launch date for the new church. I mean, that's what Paul was doing there. He's spending time with them on that. And, some, and sometimes it could be just other means, but I'm just saying there have to be personal gatherings, and that's the whole point of, of adult growth, because we're having these personal gatherings so that you can bring your friends and people you know to this Sunday school setting, the adult Sunday school class, and they get acquainted through there, and then we get them involved, and they hear the gospel, we get saved. Then notice the second thing, there's a proclamation of the gospel. There's personal gatherings with the proclamation of the gospel. Look again at these words. Paul reasons with them. Now, here's where he gets deep discussions with them about who Jesus Christ is. Now, one of the things about this day and age, and I'm probably as guilty of this as anybody here, is that we are, we're, we're quick for grabbing information. And uh, sometimes we're just not used to sitting down long periods of time and discussing with people. Now, the truth of the matter is, people that have no background to who the Lord is, and people that are very intellectual who have been given the atheistic lie of, de of the devil. How many believe that the devil is the author of the atheistic lie? Amen? Okay. You have these two extremes there. How many understand people like that? You need to sit down and reason with them. You just can't go. They're not going to get saved on the Romans road. Now, I'm not saying they can't save them. They need, they need to understand through the scriptures, okay? That man I told you got saved on, 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 on uh, this past Monday night. One of the reasons the, the Holy Spirit put in my heart way back in September to start that series after Friend Day, Nothing But the Truth, because I wanted to spend time talking about the deity of Jesus Christ. And one of the messages I preach, he said, Pastor, if you keep preaching those messages, he says, something's going to break inside my heart. Well, I think the Holy Spirit was breaking his heart already. I'm just saying today, people, you need to reason with them. They need to hear. You can't beat up on them. You can't talk down on them. You can't be condescending on them. You've got to be loving to them. You, they've got to hear, hear and know why, who Jesus Christ is. And they need to understand why whatever belief system they have, you just can't well, you belong to a cult, so therefore you ought to get out of it. Well, you're not going to win to Christ like that. I mean, you're right about that, but you've got to speak the truth in love. Amen? And you've got to help, help them understand what's wrong with it. And all you've got to do is really take the Bible and present, here's the Bible on one side, and here's what they believe on the other. Let's just compare the two. And you know, it's just going to, it's going to, the Bible will speak for itself there. And so we've got a reason. Notice Secondly, Paul opened a ledge with them. Now, when he opened a ledge, I think that's important for us to understand. He took the scriptures, opened up the scriptures, and in detail for them the truth of the gospel. Now, how well do you know your Bible? How many of you have just been in church and you've been sitting here for years and you're being spoon-fed? And if I got asked your question, you wouldn't know where to turn on. I mean, how many know why we believe, why we stand for the King James Version of the Bible? You could defend that. How many can defend that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead? How many can defend the fact that we know that Jesus is God? I'm just saying those things. How many can defend the fact why we are not, what, what the doctrine of pneumatology is all about, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, and why we don't speak in tongues? I'm saying tonight, get past the stuff this year from being spoon-fed, expecting someone to give it to you, just showing up for that purpose. Come, sit on the edge of your seat, come with enthusiasm. Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. Get a hunger in your heart for God's word and say, you know what, I'm gonna go, I may have come empty, but I'm going to go away filled with God. Amen? And so as we think about that tonight, you've got to be able to sit down and say, you know enough about the scriptures to open and allege to them, to show them that the scriptures speak for itself. That's what Paul did. Now, he was, a, he was a very articulate speaker, but you know what Paul did? He took the scriptures by opening and alleging. He let the word of God speak to those sinners. Children, workers, when you sit down with students, you'd be surprised. You might get more kids saved by asking questions instead of just lecturing to them. And a lot of times, let me just say this tonight, when we do discipleship, 
You know, some of us have a tendency, we kind of lecture. Lecture is not going to make a disciple. They're going to have to learn by discovery. You've got to give them assignments and tasks and action items and let them check off, did you do this here? And, and I want you to come back and explain to me what we've learned here. And you're not putting them through the grill. You're helping trying to find out, did you catch it? Did you get it there? And then notice the third thing he did. He, <coughs> he preached Christ, died for sinners, and rose again for the dead. Do you see that in verse 3? That Christ must needs have suffered. Do you understand tonight? We have to tell them Christ had to die for your sins. If Christ didn't die for your sins, we'd be all men of, hopeless, of hopelessness there. And he said he rose again from the dead. And he said, this Jesus whom I preach unto you is the Christ. Very quickly, would you notice this as we close? Notice, we'll just do two points, we're done. We see number one, the, we see here the faithful commencement. But would you notice, because I can't close without giving this to you tonight. Would you notice verse 4? And we're done. We see the faithful commencement in verse 2, which you notice the fruitful conversions. And we're going to be done here. Paul did this for three Sabbath days. He worked at it. He didn't get results his first week, didn't get results his second week. Started to see something around that third week, somewhere between the third and fourth week, things broke open. And the Bible says in verse 4, it tells us and records for salvation decisions. He said fruitful conversion. Would you notice the, the phraseology and the words that are used here? Some of them believe. Praise God. Amen? Amen. Some of them believe. And they consorted with Paul. I'll come back with that. They consorted with Paul and Silas. And notice of this, of the devout Greeks. Now that's important. Now you're talking about pagans who are ingrained with traditions passed down from mama, papa, grandpa, grandma, and beyond that, their ancestors. And the devout Greeks, would you notice the power of the gospel as Paul was reasoning, opening, and alleging. And devout Greeks, what's the phrase say there? How many? What's it say there? Read it to me. Talk to me. What's it say? A great multitude. Hey, do you see what's going on? He's preaching in the synagogue. Some of the women believe, I think those were Jewish women, but a great multitude of Greeks got saved. Do you see the power of the gospel there? I mean, God is working through this church plant situation. A great multitude. Now, I'm thankful Paul did not reserve himself because, you know, Jews were very ethnically biased. Racially biased. He didn't seclude his gospel that. He, he, he did exactly what gospel preaching churches should do. He emphasized language. They spoke in the Grecian language. So what did he do there? He preached in Greek and the word spread out. And the Bible says as he was preaching there, he had other opportunities beyond the synagogue. A great multitude of the, of the Greeks got saved. And the Bible says, and of the chief women, not a few. Do you see what God's doing there? There's salvation decisions. Influential people are getting saved. People in critical places that are going to help expand to the church. God has saved these people and working their life. Hey, listen, God saved you because he wants to use you to be like one of these chief women. One of these devout Greeks. And then notice as we close, salvation decision, but notice sincere disciples. These are fruitful conversions. He's not building a crowd. He's building a church. Would you notice the word in verse 4, consorted? Circle that. And write in your margin this word. It means to join the ranks thereof. It means to be added to. A new church plan is in the development. So notice how Paul references in, in, in 1 Thessalonians 1, which you go back there and look at verses 5 and 6. And I'll spend more time on this next time. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and the Holy Ghost and much assurance. Now I want you to underline four things because we'll come back to this. He says the word, the gospel came in word. It came in power, 
It came in the Holy Ghost, and it came in much assurance. Now, i got a lot to preach on about that, because that's why a lot of us are fruitless. He preached with the Word, power, the Holy Ghost, and much assurance. And he says, you know what manner of men were among you for your sake. And what's he saying there? We were consistent. We were consistent in our model. And then he said in verse 6, and ye became followers of us. They became disciples. Ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the Word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. Now go down to chapter 2, verses 13 to 14. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you believe. Hey, listen, what, a, what an enlightenment. Let's get past sitting in church and getting used to getting the, the word preached and receive it like these Thessalonians believers. They received it not as word only, but also in truth. Do you understand tonight? The world is, when they, when they get the internet news, it's like, like, like our president said, it's, it's, they're not getting the truth, amen, you know? We have to understand when the Word of God is being preached, you're getting the truth. If you're getting the truth, you're not getting the lie of the devil. He says, they received it as it is in truth. And then he says, for ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things your own countrymen, even as they have the Jews. Now watch as we close. Paul took the DNA of the church at Jerusalem, brought it down to Antioch, was commissioned out of Antioch. He had a second missionary trip. He goes to Philippi. That same DNA is planted in the church at, at, at Philippi. This same DNA now is planted in the church at Thessalonica. Watch what he says here. You became followers of us and of the Lord, and you became followers also of the church of Judea. You know, a Baptist church that is hot, and a Baptist church that is fundamental, and a Baptist church that is straight on doctrine, and a Baptist church that's exciting, and a Baptist church that's enthusiastic, and a Baptist church that's missions-minded, and a Baptist church that's involved with so many and making disciples, guess what? When you start one place, you can take it to the next, and God's going to bless you. And that's what God was doing down at Thessalonica. And so this evening, we see, we see the start, the birth of a church. We see God using a faithful commencement. And we see the fruitful conversions. As we close, I want to give you some questions tonight. We're done. Are you growing in your faith? Are you enthusiastic about the gospel? Are you consistent in your model? Are you burdened about the people that you're around? They're growing in the faith. And even if you're not involved in discipleship, when you shake a hand, when you greet somebody, are you just trying to encourage you? How are you doing? How's the Lord blessing you? Can I pray with you? And whatever it may be, I mean, we've got to have this heart set for those type of things here tonight. And so this evening as we, we look at this, I, I pray that you'll be here for the entire series on Wednesday nights. And we'll do the best we can to kind of work through this. And I just want to preach to this so we understand what, what a church plant should be like and our church model. And, that, you know, when we look at this, many, many have deemed that, that the church of Thessalonica is a model church and the church triumphant. And we're just thankful to God for all that God did the church of Thessalonica. And we're praying that God will do some great things this year at Heritage Baptist Church as we can